Welcome to From Beer to the Bible with your host, Urban Lee. Each week, you'll hear stories from Urban's road to sobriety and steps you can take to help you or a loved one find healing through Jesus Christ. Now here's your host, Urban Lee. Good evening. Welcome to From Beer to the Bible. You can get the book at FromBeerToTheBible.com. You can find more information about Hampton Ministries at HamptonMinistries.org. Well, it's a great night. Welcome. We actually have a guest. We have one of my best friends, um, and he just recently became a friend of mine, and he's already what I would call a good friend. He's there when I need him. He's faithful. If we go too long without talking, he calls and welcome Scott. And before we get started, I always want to anchor us in the Word and invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, Lord God, we ask you for your blessings, your presence, Father God. And I pray that Scott and I say nothing of ourselves, but only what the Holy Spirit leads, guides, and counsels, and empower us to say. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have church. And how are we going to have church? Matthew 18, 20 says, I'm going to read the New International Version. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them where two or three are gathered. Well, we got three here in the studio. So we're asking for the presence of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. Too many times we do things, I know I do, I I have tried in the past to do things myself and do them fleshly, but as children of God, we're supposed to walk in the Spirit of God. So we invite you in, Holy Spirit. I just want to set up Scott. Uh, Scott is... Also a recovered alcoholic, and I'm going to ask Scott uh, a few questions, and then we're going to let the the Lord work in and through Scott to share uh, his wonderful testimony. Scott, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Scott, when did you realize that you were an alcoholic? Oh man, that's an easy one. I uh, six years before I got sober, a gentleman. Uh, told his story in a Sunday school class uh, at the church I was going to, and he stood up and introduced himself at the beginning of class and said, my name's Ted and I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uh, told his story and it sounded very similar to me. Yeah. And uh, that was, that was the day and that week that I thought that might be what my problem is. Um, I would meet him. He'd give me a big book. I went to a few meetings, but uh, I, you know, my, my personal life, uh, I considered myself to be smart and successful and had a good career and thought, yeah, I'm glad those people have a program. I'll figure this out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, six years later, I found myself walking across the threshold at La Hacienda down in Kerrville, Texas, checking myself into rehab because I had figured it out so well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, that sounds eerily, uh, familiar to me. And one of the things that I like about you, Scott, as you share your testimony, and that's what I'm going to ask you to do next, is that, first of all, it's anchored and rooted in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I always admire is a level of transparency around the things that we have gone through in life, because I always like to say that your testimony is not for you. Your testimony is uh, for others. So I want you to speak and, and share uh, your testimony with our listeners. So I yield the floor to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, 
you know, like I said, it's a, it's an honor to be here today. And one of the things that I've learned on this uh, journey from uh, alcoholism into recovery and, and today where I, when people ask, you know, I, I introduce myself, whether it's in rooms of AA or if I'm out in public t- sharing my story, uh, you know, my name's Scott Wilson. I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that recovery is important. It doesn't mean that I found it, that I don't ever have to worry about it again, but it's, I go on about my life today and, and that's wholly attributed to, uh, the transformation that God did in me. And, um, I didn't realize this until I had gotten to La Hacienda and I'd been there for several weeks and I I picked that place because it had a faith uh, component to it. And that was important to me. I grew up in a, in a home that was in church all the time, grew up in a Baptist faith tradition. Uh, my parents never drank. They were married for 52 years, uh, before my dad passed away a couple of years ago, had a good marriage. You know, I, I kind of grew up the American dream and, you know, the house of the white picket fence and mom that stayed at home. And we never really wanted for anything. Uh, and we were in church every time the doors were open, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and did all the church stuff. Uh, in fact, it, it took so well, I, I went to a Baptist church and I decided to go to Baylor to a Baptist university. Um, mm-hmm. But there was always something that was missing in me, and it, it was something I didn't get. I, I just didn't, I didn't have the, at the time I would call it, it was, you know, kind of youth. I didn't have the feeling or the emotion that other people seemed to have that went with their faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though I was doing all these things, and uh, and I even got to be around some, you know, some pretty, I think, uh, you know, big people in the faith from a public perspective. You know, I remember time seeing, uh, not just seeing Billy Graham, but, you know, being at a, at a small lunch, you know, several occasions where Billy Graham's there and then yeah. hearing him on a more one-on-one person or guys like Louis Giglio or, um, you know, and some others, or I, mean, I remember uh, a couple of times being able to sit in a small group with Rich Mullins and seeing guys that really had what I thought were pretty incredible face thinking, well, why don't I get it? I've done all this stuff yeah. and got out of college, uh, and went on about my life. Um, uh, got married, got divorced, uh, story for another day, but, um, you know, had a couple of kids in that marriage, uh, who are just uh, great kids who I love to death and, uh, ended up uh, getting remarried. And, uh, I had drink. My first drink was when I was in high school, uh, between the summer, between my freshman and sophomore year. And I didn't drink all the time, but, um, I drank a lot that first time. And I, I remember exactly what I had and how much, uh, it was a mix of, uh, Budweiser and Jack Daniels, mm-hmm. and it felt good, and I felt whole and complete for the first time. Uh, so while I, on the outside, I had a life that looked good, on the inside, I had a lot of insecurities, a lot of fear, uh, a lot of anxiety, and just never felt like I was enough in whatever that was, it, whether it was athletics, whether it came to girls and dating, whether it came to you know smarts in school, whatever that was, I just always felt less than. And, and it had nothing to do with my surroundings. It, it was just kind of something that was on the inside of the way I was wired. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the alcohol seemed to cure that. Um, and I would drink off and on through high school and in college, uh, but I would always drink more than other people. And I just chalked that up to good genetics mm-hmm. and uh, thought that was a blessing at the yeah. time. And, uh, you know, I would go on my life, like I said, I'd get married and divorced. My career would take off. I'd get remarried, uh, and, uh, did really well in my career. I was a partner at one of the largest consulting firms in the world. And I was traveling all over the world. And as my career grew, my ego grew and, uh, certainly the lifestyle that my career afforded, uh, afforded, uh, access and, um, 
a lot of uh, leeway to uh, indulge in uh, the alcohol and the social aspects of that with taking clients out, taking project teams out, whatever that may be. And uh, over time, it just grew to become a more important part of my life. And I want to stop for a minute. And one of the things as I was thinking this morning and praying about it and thinking about this day, and I've been thinking about it for a while as Irvin and I had talked quite a while back about doing this. Yes. And, um, you know, I know he opens with scripture and, and one of the things that one of the most important scriptures that has been real important in my life and even in, in my fiance's life and in our life and what we're creating together and how God's brought us together has been Jeremiah twenty nine eleven which is for, I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future. You know, November 23rd of 2015, I didn't have a future and I didn't have a hope. I had run that. I had run that race with my own will and uh, my own substances to try to get me to where I wanted to go and to make me feel complete. I had run that up to the point of, of looking over the edge of a cliff into an abyss. And, uh, I was at a point in my life where if I didn't wake up the next day, that was okay. Mm. Uh, you know, or if I drove my car into a telephone pole at night, um, and nobody was harmed other than me, that everybody would be happy and, and you know, that there would be peace in everybody else's life and in mine. Finally, mm. uh, I would learn once I got to treatment, um, that that's actually considered a form of passive suicide. And I, and I didn't know that at the time. My drinking went from enjoyment and having fun, and, and there were fun times with it, and I, I can't deny that And uh, early on. But when it took hold, the fun went out the building, and when it went, it went fast and hard. And, you know, alcoholics and addicts will talk about that moment, and I can't tell you when that moment was, but there was a period somewhere around that six years before I got sober where I thought, well, I'm not controlling this real well anymore. I may have a problem, but I didn't know what it was. Sometime during that window is when I really, truly cross a point of no return. And I, I reached a point in my last couple of years of drinking. I physically, I couldn't stop. I mean, I was drinking pretty much all day, every day. And that November 23rd of 2015, I had uh, left the firm I was at. I was going to take a year off to go figure myself out. You know, it's kind of my midlife crisis and thought, well, I'm, I'm smart and successful. <laughs> I'll, I'll take a year off and, Maybe play a little golf, do a little hunting, and I'll go figure out my life because I'm a smart guy. Right. And but before I did, I thought I'll go celebrate and um, started drinking that morning at you know ten o'clock in the morning, and I was still drunk from the night before. Um, drink all afternoon. Ended up at the last bar I was at, close to where I lived uh, here in the Dallas area. And, and the only reason I know this is I, I know the the uh, manager who I'm still in touch with and talk to occasionally. And she let me know that they had cut me off for the first time and they never cut me off. But that last two hours of my drinking and keep in mind, I've been drinking all day at that point for probably a good eight to 10 hours. But my last two hours, I drank two bottles of Jack Daniels in that two hours. And I was still talking and standing as clearly as I'm am right now. And, um, left to go home, um, was, uh, planning to go to dinner uh now my ex-wife but was planning to meet her for dinner and i completely forgot all that kind of what happens when you get to those stages i mean right you you lose control you, all aspects of your life are out of control and responsibility and and not knowing which ends up and, and really what i was doing i was going home to pass out and get a few hours of rest i thought well i can go out again a little bit later and, you know that if i'm honest that's what i was doing 
and um, I was pulled over by an officer named Bryce Lee of the Capel Police Department and uh, pulled me over in front of the Ace Hardware in Capel, and he asked if I uh, knew why I was being pulled over, and my answer to him was, I give up. I can't do this anymore. And that's the only part of the night that I, there's bits and pieces I remember from that night uh, and some from what other people have told me. But that really began the journey of my sobriety and finding my faith. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, I grew up in a home that was faith-based and not just a Christian home, but a faith-based home where they lived it and breathed it and all that they did. And I had seen that in my, in my extended family members too. And, and I didn't have that. And I knew it. And uh, I would end up at uh, Dallas County Jail um, Couple about a day and a half later, I, I don't remember that day and a half in there. Uh, at that point, I had been drinking at the levels that I just talked about daily, uh, and I actually did a, a cold detox in the Carrollton Jail before they transferred me to Dallas County. Uh, and for that, just that one step in this process alone, I'm lucky to be here today. Uh, when I've been drinking at that heavy level almost every day for at least two years, yeah. uh, that'll kill a lot of people to just quit cold turkey. And for whatever reason, it didn't me that night. And I would only know about the uh, the detox I did as I ended up in Dallas County, I ended up in a cell where um, you could, you, get, you got the, the pleasure of turning your things in and getting a nice uniform uh, that's uh, incredibly comfortable, um, <laughs> that has stripes. And uh, before that happened, I, out of my wallet, I pulled a card out and I still have it in my wallet to this day that the guy that had told his story six years earlier had given me and I had never really read it. And it had this 12 steps and it had the serenity prayer on it. And I read it, put it back in my wallet and I didn't say it out loud, but in every depth of my being, I just prayed, God, I don't want to die, but I don't know how to live. Help me. Mm-hmm. A couple of minutes later, cell door would open up and this guy walked in and he said, you don't know me, but do you have a sponsor? And have you been to a God told me to come talk to you? I had a few choice words to say at that time and told him I couldn't stop him. And he sat down and he basically did a 12 step. He told me his story and he told me why he was in there and that he had fallen off the wagon. He had been running from probation for a couple of years and he was going to Huntsville for about eight years and it was all related to alcohol. And he said, you know, I I may look a lot older than you, but I'm only a few years older than you. And I can tell you by the way you look, you're going to be dead or I'll meet you in prison in a year if you don't kill somebody driving behind the wheel of a car. You get to go home tonight. When you get bailed out, go find God and get a sponsor. That's your only hope. And he said a prayer for me and changed clothes. And we ended up, ended up in a pod, uh, pod F, uh, which does laundry. And that plays a part of my story a year later. I um, walk in and it's everything that uh, one would imagine who's not used to that experience. And, and I can still remember the sound of the doors opening and closing and, looking through the window before the door actually going into the cell door opens a big steel door and looking through that window and thinking, my God, what have I done to myself? And, uh, you know, walking in and, you know, there's the table of white guys and the brown guys and the black guys and, and not knowing what to do. And I go get signed to a bunk and I put my stuff down and one of the white guys comes over and says, you're sitting with us. And I said, okay. And sat down and just an incredible pain from the withdrawals and confusion and loss and emptiness and hopelessness and, and not knowing what's going to happen or what, I'm, what do I even do. Uh, 
other than I don't want to die. And, and, and I wasn't worried about dying in jail. That didn't scare me. It was dying outside of jail. It scared me, and I didn't know how to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. This big black guy walks over and puts down a hot meal in front of me, and he says, you look like you need this more than I do. God, suggest, God told me to give you a hot meal. And he turns around and walks off. And I ate that meal, and uh, a little bit, once I'm eating, and a little bit later, this uh, Hispanic guy walks over, and he says, look, here's a fruit cup and some Kool-Aid mix. You mix in that water. It'll make that food taste a little sweeter. I'm praying for you. God's looking after you tonight. He turns around and walks off. And at that point, I'm like, okay, God, get me out of here. I, I got it. I'm listening, and you're listening. I didn't think you cared. But I'm here with everything in the world that I could have. And what the world would see is the least of these are serving me and ministering to me. I'd get bailed out and I fessed up to my parents and sister and her husband and, and my two oldest kids that uh, I had a drinking problem and that I was dying and that I had to go to treatment. I had to get help and I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew I had to do it. And, uh, um, my parents were incredibly supportive, prayed for me, a lot of tears. You know, I certainly had a lot of guilt and shame. And uh, I would uh, enter into uh, La Hacienda on January 6th, uh, five years. It would be five years ago this January that I entered. I picked that as my sobriety date because that's the date I actually drove down there and got myself there. Um, between uh, And we decided to wait because my two oldest kids were in college till they got back to college. So I could spend the holidays with them because I didn't know how long it was going to take or what that journey was going to look like. And I was in misery from Thanksgiving to New Year's of pacing the house. I didn't leave the house. I didn't go anywhere alone. I, I was I was in bad shape, uh, full of fear and anxiety, uh, knowing I didn't have an answer yet. And I got to La Hacienda, and, and as I said, I picked it because it had a faith component to it. And and uh, met my counselor, started the, the program they have there, started going to um, uh, the group, the faith group that met. and. Um, then we had a thing up on uh, Serenity Hill where every morning there was a fire and a prayer time and devotional time and, and watch the sun come up in the hill country, and I would go to that. But Leroy was the gentleman that ran the faith group, and uh, he was an old rancher and had been a retired minister. And uh, He reminded me of my granddad that was a rancher, and I just connected with him really quick. I liked my counselor, and, and, and that was really beneficial on the kind of on the professional side of counseling, getting that help. But on that personal spiritual level, it was Leroy. And uh, he knew my whole background and story by the time I came and asked him the question about, it was about three or four days before I checked out of uh, La Hacienda. I walked in his office one afternoon, his door was open, and I said, Leroy, I got a question. And he said, well, what is it, Scott? And I said, "Uh, you know my whole story. And I said, "Uh, you know, I've been baptized, and I did that when I was a kid and all that stuff and growing up in church. But I didn't meet God until I got here. That's because of you. I don't want to be baptized, and I don't want to do it at home. I want to do it here, and I want to do it with you. And he jumped up and gave me a big hug, and he said, there's a group of us that have been praying for you since the day you checked in, hoping this day was going to come. And he said, I'll meet you down at the river tomorrow. And I got baptized in the North Fork of the Guadalupe River Mm -hmm. on a February morning. And he baptized me, and I finally understood what those waters meant. And I came out a new man. Not a perfect man, but a new man. And uh, this scripture has always been a part of that. And that journey since then has led me through uh, business loss, the death of my father. My youngest daughter had a horrific ski accident uh, and went through a divorce, and it was amicable. 
and then to the point now where God has brought me to uh, to my fiance Amy Jo, who has an incredible faith and story as well that's related to the loss of a husband and early on with young children and, and her faith journey and their journey that he's brought us together for what our hope is that we have a life that will honor God and that we'll do that through how we manage our life together, uh, how we raise our children together and how we minister to others. That's kind of where we're at. And that scripture is our family scripture. Well, you know, the Israelites were in captivity because of their own choices. Mm-hmm. And much like my life, I ended up in my own captivity because of my own choices. It didn't mean God had never left me. He was always there. Uh, in fact, he was always ahead of me. Uh, you know, when I got to jail and that guy walked in and said, do you know God and do you have a sponsor? That guy was there before I got there. You know, God was waiting for me to show up. And I, and I found that sense a lot in my life, the things that I need to work on and improve. God's there waiting for me and he has the tools or the people, the resources ready, willing, and able. And that he does want to bless me and he does care about all the aspects of my life and everybody else's life. But I do have to depend on him and I have to look to him and not to my own uh, resources and will. And it's a, it's an everyday thing. You know, it's something I do every day and I'm not perfect at it, but I do work at it. I know that God shows up and he can take the brokenness and make something beautiful out of it. If we're willing to let him and then we're willing, as you said, to take that story and that journey to help others. Because at the end of the day, that's why we're here, is to help others. We will be right back after this. We'll be back with more of From Beer to the Bible, right here on The Word, 100.7 FM. Finding addiction help is intensely personal, and the differences in options may not be immediately clear. Hampton Ministries was founded with the intent to provide people struggling with substance and behavioral issues with guidance to find the best environment for their well-being and recovery. Our main focus is to help those who use drugs and alcohol to break free and learn to cope with life circumstances. Hampton Ministries provides a rehab welcome kit to provide crucial resources to make their journey a success. Utilizing Lonnie Hampton's principles of character, work ethic, and selflessness, participants learn to hold themselves accountable. We want to help each individual obtain the life skills necessary to live a happy, successful, sober life. If you or a loved one is wrestling with substance abuse and needs help finding treatment or to donate, please visit HamptonMinistries.org. That's HamptonMinistries.org. Welcome back to From Beer to the Bible. Here's your host, Irvin Lee. Welcome back. I'm your host, Irvin Lee of From Beer to the Bible. You can find the book, at FromBeerToTheBible.com. Wow, Scott, that is such a powerful testimony. And I love the way you brought it to a close of, we are here to love others as ourselves. And we have to learn to love ourselves. And what I learned through your story, my story, and through addiction and abuse, is that we we oftentimes struggle with self-worth, and self-love. So we have to love ourselves so we have the ability to love others and share our testimony to not only help others heal, but also come to their true identity in Christ. Um, We look at the abuse of alcohol, and I'm reminded of a word the Lord gave to me. And he said to me clearly one day, When we do not understand purpose, abuse is inevitable. 
when we do not understand purpose, when we do not understand our purpose that the Lord has made us from, which is a part of our identity, then it's inevitable that we abuse substances and things of the world looking for the fulfillment that only the Lord Jesus Christ can bring to us. We are going to have Scott back to continue with part two of his testimony next week. So please make sure that you join us so you can be blessed and hear more about all the Lord has done and brought Scott through. And remember, the love, I love you, the faith is in Christ Jesus, and the hope is found in the Lord our God. May God always richly bless you. Thank you for listening to From Beer to the Bible with host Irvin Lee. To learn more, visit FromBeerToTheBible.com. There you can catch past episode podcasts and find other resources. That's FromBeerToTheBible.com.